When life throws you a curveball, how are you going to handle adversity? Welcome to the Fearless Mindset Podcast, where you're about to go on a journey as I interview security, business, and entertainment leaders on what it takes to stay fearless. I'm your host, Mark Ludlow, and enjoy today's episode. Hello, folks. This is Mark Ludlow with the Fearless Mindset Podcast. Yep, we are in studio. I drove 14 hours to come down here from Oregon because I had a, a big name in the house, Dean St- Stout? Stout. Dean Stout, yeah. Stout. Stout. Make sure I get that name right because I watched you on Jack Carr and he had to make sure he had the pronunciation correct. <laughs> <laughs> well, some people say Scott anyway, so at least you got the T in there, so it's good. <laughs> but it's an honor to have you. It's just, uh, wow. Um, you are the definition of Jason Bourne. But in reality, folks... This guy has done some stuff. He's seen some stuff. If you don't know who Dean is, he's on the internet. You can look him up on Instagram page. He's on LinkedIn. And you have the website too, your website, I have right? the website, yeah, com. yeah. Okay, look that up. And also, yes, I did read his book last night. Yeah. I think I got into chapter four and then I started falling asleep after my 14-hour <laughs> try. <laughs> and I highlighted some things in here that really stuck out to me. Yeah. And Dean was gracious enough to give me a, his own book with... Check that out, folks. Autograph. Thanks, Dean. Yeah, absolute pleasure, yeah. And we've been trying to do this for five, six months, and I got COVID with yeah. my client in San Diego. I said, hey, dude, I don't want to give this to you. Yeah. I got to rent a car and drove home with COVID, oh. so that didn't work out. But, uh, folks, Dean is the, the official frogman and special forces guy out of Britain, and he loves being uncomfortable, and he thrives in those elements that special forces train for. And uh, just thanks for your time, because I know I know the audience is going to love this show. No, absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. And like I said, yeah, we're both busy, busy individuals. So it has taken six months, but I appreciate the fact you've driven 14 hours. Uh, I've just driven 20 minutes. <laughs> so it's, it's a dedication to the art and the craft, I think, and the school trade that we have. Um, wow, a lot has gone on in our country lately. And there's so much stuff I want to talk to you about. I, I took notes in there and it's just floating in my head. I think the biggest thing, you know, we have a lot of bodyguards that listen to the show. Yeah. And we had a good conversation when we were at Irvine Spectrum. We had dinner there back eight months ago, whenever it was. And Dean brought up a good point, folks. It was like, um, we were talking about the CCW issue in America and how you guys don't rely on that in Britain or overseas. It just, you don't think about that. Yeah. And you're very passionate about that. And that caught my ear. And I think a lot of EPA just in America need to know, hear this from you being what you've done around the world. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we, I come from a culture where we, um, the UK, where we don't have weapons, don't have access to weapons. Obviously, coming from the UK Special Forces, yes, I, I had a weapon. I know how to how to use it. Um, but when I, when I started working in the private security sector, um, you know, I didn't always have access to weapons. I was working in countries like, you know, Somalia, Yemen, uh, Libya. Um, so very hostile um, arenas. And yes, there was times where I could get my hands on weapons, but I was never reliant on that weapon. And so coming from a culture where you don't have a weapon, when you start entering the world of security and you're, you're, you're doing a project or a plan, you need to have a plan, like a primary plan, a secondary plan and a tertiary plan. But having weapons shouldn't be in that plan at all. You know, I used to hear stories of guys in like Afghan and Iraq and some of these other places and they'd be all excited about how they'd come in and they'd been in the middle of a contact and things like that. And I see that as bad security because what they haven't done is they haven't 
seen the potential risks um, and avoided it. You know, someone said to me, you know, you go from being one of the bravest in the world to the biggest coward. And it's not because you're a coward. It's because you you want to avoid any sort of conflict, any sort of issues as well. So, so when I'm doing a lot of planning, I make sure that, you know, I don't have weapons available, you know, how can we avoid any issues, the time of day that we're traveling. Um, and the way I've been successful in, in the industry is more of intelligence-led security. It's understanding the ground truth, the demographics, the politics, the tribal influences in some of these countries as well. You know, because I did, I did hear of horror stories of Western security companies coming into these places and sort of trying to bully their way through and, you know, maybe what they would do in other countries. But you are a guest in, in some of these countries as well. And so, so for me, I always was reliant on my, my fixers uh, and my intelligence uh, teams as well. So, so cause I was confident in that the, them and the plan, I was confident that I didn't need to carry weapons. Um, I had weapons, but they were cached. I would bury those weapons in strategic places around the country, normally close to my, to, to my safe houses. But having obviously now come to the U S I, I now see, the culture in the US and I, and I see that, you know, how you have access to second amendment. And I, you know, I agree with the second amendment. I, I probably don't agree that you can get by an RPG. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? Yes. I agree yeah. that. <laughs> you know, you get a pistol and, and, sure. and I could see why, yeah. why you do it. But when I speak to security operators in the, in the US, you know, I talk to them and give them sort of scenarios and say, right, if, if you were to tackle this project, how would you do it? And cause they, are born into and they're so used to having that sidearm on them that's always in their plan and then I say right now take the sidearm away now what is your plan and then they then actually start thinking they start looking at we call it skinning the cat another way of skinning the, in the cat um, and so that's all I'm doing I, it's not that I'm, I'm against the weapons I just don't think it should be in any of your plans wow that's pretty profound but you know because you, if you don't have that uh, tool or weapon system on you, it's going to cause you as an EP agent to think differently on how you're going to handle that that principle that you're driving with, walking with, yeah. taking. Are you going to go through that way because we have possible threat, 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 or are you going to go this way, divert yeah. it, go around it? Yeah. And you in in your training, special forces training, you're trained to go around it. Yeah, trained to go around it. Why yeah. don't we do the same kind of the methodology? of what you guys do to be successful and having uh, a successful mission. Yeah, I think, you know, having worked here as well, you know, I see that there's some clients who want someone with a weapon, which is, which is fine because they have that warm comfort. But they also need to know that, you know, and a lot, a lot of the EP guys as well are scared to not confront the client, mm -hmm. but to challenge the client. You know, the client wants to go that way. Well, actually, if we go that way, there's more risk to us. If we do go round, and, and I think that's what it is. Some of it is a, a, a loss of communication. Now, we used to have it here, for example, especially in the Middle East, North Africa. You know, we'd have one client come in, and when we're doing the, the invoice, uh, sorry, when we're doing the, the proposal, we're telling them, right, you need, you need two vehicles. That, well, I'm on my own. Why do I need two vehicles? But when I then explained to him, like, should your vehicle have an RTA? Do you want to stand on the side of the road in between Egypt and in Benghazi, or do you want that backup vehicle to take you where you need to be? Right. And so when he got, when we explained it to them, they, they understood it. So I think there's also an element where we're, we're there to please the client. We're there, we have a role, we have a task, and we, we have an objective. But our objective, regardless what theirs, the client says, is to keep them safe. Right. Um, and so I think guys should be more, and girls should be more confident in sort of 
challenging the the clients as well you know and like i said if you have a sidearm yeah a to b the quickest route is the best but you know i i just always think edge on the the worst case scenario what is the worst case scenario what your you know what are your exit routes and like i said if you if you're going into an area you know you just need to explain that to the clients as well because they they're not from a security background and i've had it before when i've explained to them i said look you want to go there, but I'm, what I'm suggesting is we do this. And the reasons for are this, 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 and this. And they're like, okay. Because they actually then respect you more that you're actually thinking about it rather than just taking the paycheck and just, you know, just keeping them alive. So that that sort of works with relationships with people. And, and you, you know, it's very easy with certain clients. I mean, there's certain clients who are like you know, a pain in the ass. Um, so, but, you know, it's just, just understanding, understanding them. And, um, you know, I think for me, I'm, I'm very personable with them you know you know there's an element of where it was too too close uh, and not and so it's just getting that right balance so i think a lot of people in ep industry can also get that wrong you know get too too friendly with a client and then it becomes difficult then when you have to sort of you know step in and sort of challenge him yeah it messes up the dynamic it does, yeah. You're offering them a service, you know. You're you're not their friend, but it doesn't mean you have to be rude to them. You are, you know. I still keep in touch with the majority of my clients. Of we are now mm-hmm. um, friends, but um, but they know when we were on task that if I said no, mm-hmm. we're not doing this, they they would then be like, right, he he means it, you know, and they wouldn't challenge me because we have a, a good friendship or something. Right. Speaking of the clients, I know you know it's public knowledge that you 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 trained with Prince Harry. Yes. And um, there's no hidden mystery. What is that like? What has that experience and journey been for you that people know that um, about you? And how has it made you grow professionally in the security industry? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm sure you, you guys are on text each other. I'm sure you yeah. have that kind of relationship because you guys were in the war together, the military yeah. together. Explain to the audience what that world is like and how you keep the client business owner relationship and you guys are actually friends so yeah yeah what is what is that like yeah that's that's always been a fine balance like so um harry and i met each other 15 years on a jtac course um and you know i walked into this this building at the end of the runway a small wooden hut and you know the raf wouldn't even know who was working there <laughs> on this one day every man and their dog decided to turn up so i knew there was obviously some someone of importance in the room so I walked in the room and he was actually sat right in front of me. And there's 18 of us on course. Um, and the four gentlemen at the back, all all special forces guy, SAS and SBS. And so this is when he was a young second lieutenant. He was about 23 years old. You know, he wanted to go to Afghanistan. His commanding officers are like, well, you, you know, you need a role or a purpose to go to Afghanistan. You can't just come to Afghanistan because you want to. Because obviously you can imagine the heat surrounding him, not, not, not just him um, under threat, but those in and around him. So he he went on the JTAC course and him and I just hit off straight away. You know, I didn't see him as a member of the Royal Family. I saw him as a young officer who's in the military. And so there's one thing my, my wife says to me, you know, whether you're a member of the Royal Family or a young boy on the street, I would talk to you exactly the same. You know, I, I don't, I, I don't um, get queasy over celebrities and things like that. You know, for me, you're, you're an individual and, and, you get the same respect where you're at the top or you're at the bottom. And I think that's helped me in the EP world as well is the, is the fact that, you know, some of these people, these clients you're working with, they are high profile people and, they, and they're used to people being like that. Whereas actually some of the success I've heard from my friends is where they've just treated them as 
no, and they've actually respected the fact you just treat them as normal individuals. Normal. <laughs> a good story, a friend of mine was taking a, a professional footballer to Africa, um, one of the big footballers from Manchester United. And actually when they went for dinner the first night, my friend doesn't like football or soccer. He doesn't, <laughs> he does, he doesn't like it. And, and, and the, um, the client was like, ah, loved it because he's so used to people asking him or being in a certain manner around him and asking certain questions when in fact you just treat them like like an individual so that's sort of what where harry and i that relationship built up you know i, I treat him like as um, a young officer and he was it was a good a good soldier as well and we just maintained that friendship um throughout our time in the career we did a lot in the philanthropy world you know i i was an ambassador for the sbs um charity royal british legion so some of the events he would come you know, to, uh, on my table and vice versa. You know, I had a intelligence fusion cell based in Mozambique in Tanzania, and we would identify the smuggling routes for the ivory going from the Africa to the far East. And so with him and the charity work he does around uh, the wildlife and, you know, save the rhino and, and everything else, I would disseminate that information. So there was that close relationship there, but I've always been conscious that there's a fine line between friendship and then business. You know, I've never asked of him of anything because I know that once you cross that line you know that relationship dies and so but also the fact that I'm here that if he asks of me for something which he has on a couple of occasions I'm there to be able to assist um so yeah I'm always conscious of that and I think that's what's kept the the the, the, uh, the relationship strong is the fact that you know he knows that if he does have a question or you know some some impartial advice as well or he, he wants to inquire about something he has a as a neutral um, set of ears. Mm, okay. Yeah, I've been watching. He's been on the threads lately, on all my threads. Prince Harry, King, the King. Uh, oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. And God rest her soul, the Queen. Yeah, of passed. course. Yeah. And um, there's a lot of things changing in England now. You got the King. Now their their dad is now the King ruling the King Charles the British Commonwealth. Yeah. And how is that going to affect Prince Harry now? That now you're seeing that they're getting pushed with. Megan and there's some yeah I there. think I think obviously that that relationship all that has happened already you know so you know it was just sad that the, the Queen had passed I know from my relationship with Harry he was very close to his grandmother and his grandfather and he's lost two in in a short period of time um, but you know his father's his father you know you know I I would never you know want to be born into a family like that you know just you're, you're constantly under the, the radar you know you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't so just do what makes you you happy and I know obviously um having met him a few times and still very much in communications he's happy as a young family you know I, I remember him as a young 23 year old soldier you know we when him and I met each other we didn't have our wives and kids we're now two totally different individuals I have three kids with my wife Elan and he has now to himself but I always remember seeing him in, in and around children and there was this real which obviously comes from his mother I think you know this this real bond and this this connection so so I am seeing the happy side of him you know he has happy he has his family now is he pretty happy now that he's married yeah, he, he, he's happy Good. you know he's here you know he's he, been through a lot of stuff he's been through a lot of stuff and yeah. he will continue to be through a lot of stuff and yeah. unfortunately you know it's um it's just the, the world that he was born into. And, and I think, exposed. you know, I always look back to our time in the military and that mm. was probably where he, he was at his, at his happiest in the fact that he 
was about away from the media. He could be second lieutenant Wales, and I don't know if he if he made a mistake in the military, as everyone makes in the military. Yeah. Military. It wasn't all over the world's press. It was kept within. But you know, he was a great soldier, and you yeah. know, he went on to good things. And, and so, like me, he's got a good heart. It's probably the closest you'd ever get to being yeah like a civilian was his time in the military. And so, yeah, so and he, he served 10 years. I don't think a lot of people in the US realize that he, you know, done two operational tours of Afghanistan. Wow, impressive. Did 10 years, went back yeah. second time as an Apache pilot. So they pulled him out after yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, so he's done, his, he's done his time. You know, he's done his time. And you guys came from polar opposite background because I know yeah. I read your background in your book mm. and it gave me a, a snapshot of what you went through. Yeah. And you basically grew up in the ghetto and you just had a tough, tough upbringing, polar opposite of Harry. Yeah, it's um, and you like your kid in fights when you're a little kid because you looked opposite of everybody around you. Yeah, and you're protecting true. your sisters and your mom and dad were going through problems and yeah, but that that's probably rough. where the, that's probably where the security, you know, that, yeah. that, that mindset and that situation awareness came from as a as a young age. So mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah, I was born into a military family. Um, my parents split up when I was um, eight years old, and my mother was from Manchester, so she took me and my sisters on a train. Uh, in the early morning when my dad was asleep up, mm-hmm. up to Manchester so we couldn't get on the on the housing ladder we couldn't get a house and so we ended up in a homeless home in Moss Side in Manchester which was the as you rightly touched on the the, the most dangerous ghetto you call it ghettos here we call it estates <laughs> okay. which are two different things here but <laughs> right. it's, it was the it was the most dangerous estate in the UK at the time in, in, in 1985 and I me and my sister we were the only white children in the school so that's going to bring attention to yourself so at a young age I was I was fighting in the in the playground and then got moved from that school to another but um my father was traveling up every weekend I was very close to my father you know and really enjoyed my time that he took us away and the he went for custody uh, for me and my sisters and the judge at the time was like I'm not going to separate the siblings between two two parents um they will stay together, but they need to make the decision who they live with. And my, um, I was close to my father and I was the eldest of the three. And yeah. so when I was asked, I said, my father. And so I had to make that a quite difficult decision at the age of 10 right. about who we we're going to end up living with. So wow. that took us away from Manchester. You know, if I stayed in Manchester, you know, it may still have been very successful. And you, you never know. But uh, we then moved back down to Oldershot. And Oldershot is probably the equivalent of Fort Bragg here. Okay. It's the... Uh, it was the home of the British Army. Um, so you had the parachute regiment jumping out of the skies all the time. The Red Devils um, parachute display team used to take off from our school field. And so very much immersed in that military environment. But not, I didn't really want to pursue a career in the military. I didn't see myself as a as a soldier, special or special forces. Always wanted to be a, a fireman. So yeah, so very, very different, more humble beginnings than probably what Harry was. But I think... You know, I've learned a lot through that. And, and that's why I say it doesn't matter whether you're a member of the royal family or a president or, you know, a guy, a young boy from Moss Side um, in a homeless home. I will treat you exactly the same. But there's some strength in that because you have a lot of humility, I can tell, because your upbringing. And then when it came to your point in your journey, when he came across met the prince, yeah. he treated him like anybody else. And I think he loved that. Yeah, I think he appreciated that, um, you know, he didn't want any preferential treatment. He wanted to pass that course under his own steam. You know, he didn't like doors being open. And so I think, you know, for me, I was a bit of a, a bit of a character, a bit of a yeah. joker anyway. And <laughs> I made a few comments and it was like, <laughs> well, yeah, well, you're going to, you're going to partner up with him. So, so, and that was it. And, and so I know there was an element of, 
I'd never, it's my first time I'd, I'd come across anyone from the royal family. And so, you know, I didn't, I don't read a lot, watch much TV or read much newspapers at the time. And so I didn't have, I knew, obviously knew who he was, you know what I mean? But I, I'd never had any preconceived conceptions about him. So I was just, I was actually more impressed that he'd joined the military as his brother had joined the military and his father before and his, and his uncle, but he now decided to put his life on the line and volunteer going to Afghan. And I thought, well, that's, you know, that, that means a lot to me. 